Okay. Well, I didn't know he was going to bring up uh, the first thing. So Ron and Paul and I have sort of been talking. And one reason we want you all to have a teaching committee is it's actually easier for us if you say this is what we want to study as opposed to you listening to whatever happens to be on our minds. Because we're not always confident we know what you want to hear or what's on your mind. So to let you know, that's part of it. Uh, we have a new grandbaby coming in January, and so we know, Kathy and I know, we'll be uh, living outside the city for at least a couple weeks, longer if I can't drag Kathy back home, um, <laughs> as we take care of this new baby. So that's what that's all about. And the second part of it is really having a social committee for a Sunday school class is a real big blessing. And uh, I think you'll find that you'll have fun, and it'll be a blessing to you. A little word about uh, Alistair West and his attempt. We've been talking, and today and next week, Ron's going to do testimonies. I'm doing the gospel. Um, we're entering a part of the book that has to do with evangelism. Uh, and uh, you'll find out that comes from the word euangelion, which means good news. And in pastoral circles, we talk about what we call pre-evangelism. That is to say, for completely secular people who have no Christian worldview whatsoever, they don't believe the Bible's true, they don't believe it's divinely inspired, they have li there might be a God in the sense of a kind of a watchmaker, uh, but they don't believe in any kind of a personal God, those people really cannot be reached easily without a little pre-evangelism that is getting them to be open to the possibility of spiritual realities. That's what pre-evangelism really is. Well, just to let you know, uh, what uh, I was trying to do, or Alistair West, one of my split personalities, was trying to do uh, in Marshland is exactly that, uh, to open up for relative non-believers the possibility that the Christian faith is true and uh, there's a couple more in this series yet to come and th that theme will continue to be sort of what dominates why I'm trying to write a novel and not a book. Because what I found is non-Christians don't read Christian books. So you can't get them that way because it's impossible. With that as background, um, let's talk about why is it that Christians have trouble making disciples. Now I'm going to give you a startling and terrible statistic to start out with. Most Christians in America the vast majority, well over 80%, will never, ever, in their lifetime, share their faith with anyone or bring someone to Christ. And what that means is we have 10% of the people who are drawing the whole cart. Now, I want to compare that with you to the early church where we know from studies that have been done that in the early church, we had these great figures, Peter, Paul, John, the apostles going out, but two million people were saved within about the first century and a half of the Christian movement. And that couldn't be done by 12 guys. Okay, So we know that individual Christians were sharing their experience with Jesus with their friends, uh, with their family, with what we called the oikos, because in those days households uh, usually were made up of a person, their slaves, and their business associates because most businesses were essentially family businesses. So an oikos, of which we get our word economics, was a family community, a family community. So why is it that you and I have trouble sharing our faith? And I'm going to give you three reasons, two of which I can cure for you, the last one I can't do it, you'll have to do it for yourself. They don't know what to share, they don't know how to share, and we don't and we're afraid to share. Now, I must tell you, I think the fear part partly has to do with the first parts. If we don't know what to say, if we don't know how to say it, then we're going to be scared that we're going to do something wrong, aren't we? Right? Uh, so, helping to know how to say it and what to say gives us the courage under the proper circumstances to, in fact, say it. And that's kind of what we're going to be about this week and next week. Now, here's our Bible verse for the day. After John's arrest, 
Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time has come, the kingdom of God has arrived, you must change your hearts and minds and believe the good news. So right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he places the gospel forefront and center. The time has come, repent and believe the good news. And that's what we'll be talking about all today is the good news. Now, in Nazareth, in his first sermon, uh, Jesus shares the good news uh, in a different way. So let me give that one to you. This is from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and read. From the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news, good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of slight to the blind, setting free the oppressed, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is in a sense saying, I'm here, God has anointed me in a special way that I might proclaim good news for everyone that's in any kind of a captivity. And we're going to come back to that. So, let's just stop for a moment. In the Greek, the word is euangelion, from which we get our word evangelism. Okay, so this is all one root word. The you is good, and the angelion is messenger. Angels, the angelion is where we get angels from. Uh, angels are messengers. So the good news is the good message. Now, why do we call it the gospel? Well, the answer is, in Middle English, the word for good news is gospel. So we get it from Early English, Middle English. So let me tell you, let's ask the ladies a question. I hate to pick on all of How afraid are you ladies to tell your friends that you just had a new grandbaby? How afraid are you? Very afraid? Zero afraid. Zero afraid. Guys, how afraid are you to tell someone that you just shot your best game of golf ever? How scared are you? Not scared, right? So if this is really good news, if we believe in our heart that this is good news, it's even, it's hard to say it's better news than grandchildren, but it's definitely better news than golf, at least my golf. <laughs> if it's that good, then we should not be afraid to share it. Now, we might be afraid to share it in the wrong way, that we should be, but we should not be afraid to share what is for everyone Good news. So, uh, I'm going to go back just a minute here. So, yeah, yes, and please ask me questions. I believe that one of the reasons we are fearful is that we don't like rejection. If you, I mean, we obviously know it's good news by this time in our lives, right? Right. And we want to share it, but what do we do about the fear of being rejected? So um, I, I'm going to tell. So I'm, first of all, is anybody here in the in the car sales business or was in the car sales business? Uh, so here's what I can tell you. You know, if you sell a car to one out of every ten people that walks on that lot, you're like the greatest car salesman in San Antonio. You're fabulous. There are always more no's than yeses, right? Any of you that've been in sales know that there are more no's than yeses. Uh, or as my my former co-pastor used to say, because I get very depressed when people reject me, uh, Dave used to say, Chris, don't count the no votes. Don't count the no votes. Just count the yes votes. Um, I think, first of all, to learn to count the yes votes. Okay. The second thing is, and I'm going to give you some assurance here, I think what you'll find is if you kind of follow the pattern that we're developing here, there will not be a rejection. Now, there may not be an acceptance, but here's what I think. If we pray for people, if we pray that God will bring people into our lives that want to hear the gospel, and if we make friends with the people that God brings into our lives, and if we wait for a moment in which the subject is natural to share our faith, 
then whatever happens next won't be a hard rejection. It might not be an acceptance, but it will be a respectful listening. And where we get in trouble is if people sense that we're pushing them, now we get to rejection. And the key is, so I'll tell you a story. You know, I was a corporate lawyer once. If any of you were corporate lawyers, back in the old days before the computers, we had to go to the printer. That's all registration statements, all big, long corporate documents. They had to be printed. And that they were hand typeset. So every time you sent it into the printer, you got it back and you had to proofread it and you had to check it. And there, of course, were types. So we spent days, sometimes two weeks. I hope I didn't drop something. Sometimes we spent two weeks at the printers. And we were there all night. We were literally there all night, many times. And so what we argued about when there was, you know, you send the document off to the printer, you wait for it to come back, you argue about politics and religion. And what I found was no one ever came to Christ or accepted my political views out of any of those conversations because all we were doing was arguing. We started it with the intention of arguing, okay? <laughs> and so that's not what we want to do. That's, I, I, not one person ever came to Christ as a result of any of that. Uh, and so we don't want to do that. We want to let it flow naturally, Okay. And we need to remember that we do have friends that are poor, captives, blind, and oppressed. Now, they may not be financially poor, or physically captive, or actually blind, but they may not be able to see the truth. Uh, they may be captive to their own self-interest. Uh, they may be oppressed by their own desires, and Jesus came to set them free. In a way, captivity physically, oppression physically are metaphors for the fact that we're all captive to something. We're all captive to something. And that's what Jesus came to share us from. So in Jesus is saying that the good news is this. First of all, I am the fulfillment of the messianic promise to God's people. It's here. I'm the fulfillment. That's Isaiah. Secondly, he is the promised son of David, not to just to the Jews, but to the whole world. That was an unusual thought, okay, that Jesus came to do something that was not just for the people of Israel, but for everyone. Jews and Greeks, whoever would accept this good news. And finally, that happened to be my reading for this morning, uh, Jesus is going to heal the great sufferings of mankind, imprisonment, illness, and oppression by his own actions, his own sufferings. So, the simple good news, therefore, is the way to salvation is Jesus Christ. Jesus now, there's not magic in the name. It's the love of God that Jesus represented and embodied when he was here. Let's not be silly. Uh, there's not magic in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we conservative Christians make Jesus' name magic. Jesus is saying, my life, my death, my resurrection, my willingness to live in poverty, that is the truth. <laughs> That's the truth of what God is like. God is willing to go to any extent to save humankind. And he didn't do it in the abstract. He didn't send a note. <laughs> he sent himself. He sent himself. Every human being needs this. You know, we are all, all of us, captive to something. We're all of us oppressed by something. Uh, we are all of us selfish in some way. And that continues for our whole lives. We need continuing relief from this captivity. And our friends are no different than we are. I don't know. Did you all ever have a friend in high school that you thought had the perfect family? Did you all have it? Yeah, my, my family was messed up, but there was these other families, they were perfect. Did you, you all ever have that thought when you were teenagers? I had it in a major way about a family in our community. My dad was an FBI agent, which is another way of saying he kind of knew everything. So one day I'm kind of lecturing my dad about how terrible our family was and how great this family was. And dad just looked at me and said, well, Chris, you never know. 
Well, it took a lot of years for me to know, but eventually I knew. Uh, and the, <laughs> so the truth is, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, they're just as messed up as we are. They're just not messed up in the same way. <laughs> okay? And they need the good news as much as we need the good news. They may not accept it in the same way. They might not be in the same place. So that's why forming a friendship and learning about that person is important. So I want to just give you, Paul's gospel looks something like this. Christ died for our sins. Over and over again, in innumerable letters, Paul points out Jesus died for our sins. He doesn't give us a theology about that, as we'll learn in a moment. But he does say, in some way, human fallenness is why Jesus died. He was buried and he was really dead for three days. He didn't fake die, he really died. And he really rose from the dead on the third day. And we can be saved to live a holy life fulfilling the righteousness of God by the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. So that's Paul's very simple gospel. Now in the book, I can't do it here, but Paul gives his testimony I think it's three times in the book of Acts, once he writes it out in Galatians. And on top of that, innumerable times in books like Timothy, he gives it in a short form. Okay, and, But the stages of it are relatively similar. And each time Paul tells this story, whether he tells it in a long speech to a king, or whether he tells it in a short statement to one of his friends, he says uh, the same thing. So... I'm going to take a break from that. We'll be back in just a minute. But postmodern people and the gospel. I already spoke a little bit. We have to learn to speak in the language that people understand. Now, this is really hard, I think. And the longer you've been a Christian, the harder it is. But just a few things. People don't think of themselves as sinners anymore. They just don't. My children, I have a small sense of sin compared to my parents. Uh, but my children have an even smaller sense of sin compared to me. Uh, our culture has taught people that they're not sinners, they're fundamentally good. Uh, so what they are is mentally messed up a little bit due to the bad behavior of people like their parents. <laughs> or their job. Or, or their friends. Uh, so we need to learn to communicate the gospel in a culture in which the notion of sin is just not present. I'll give you another one for Presbyterians, but the last doctrine, if I were you, I would talk about with your non-Christian friends is the doctrine of predestination. Be because what do we Americans believe in? Give it to me in one word. Freedom! Freedom! America is all about freedom, and freedom means I decide what I'm going to do, which means God does not decide what I'm going to do. I decide, okay? So the doctrine of predestination is not something to introduce to people early on in their Christian walk. It will become meaningful to them in a way as they grow older in the faith, uh, but at the beginning, it's an obstacle. So don't, I want to say, those of you who are salesmen know this, you don't start selling by telling the buyer what's wrong with the product, do you? <laughs> you start with what's right with the product. And so let's take the hard parts of the faith and save them until the person is mature enough to hear what they need to hear. Secondly, we must know and empathize with the suffering of people in our day and in our time and communicate God's love for them. We have to be sympathetic. Now, Kathy knows this, believe me. She'll be happy to give her testimony right now. I'm just not a very sympathetic person at heart. I was trained as a lawyer. Uh, I had a pretty interesting childhood. I'm basically just pretty tough about people. Uh, and, but you cannot possibly share the gospel without empathizing with people and where they are and what they're truly suffering. No matter how much we think they're the cause of it. Okay? <laughs> It doesn't matter whether I think somebody is the cause of their drug addiction or the cause of this baby out of wedlock or the cause of whatever's going on in their life. I've learned as a pastor, I have to empathize with them and not focus on the cause. Focus on the person, not the cause. 
And we have to share the gospel in when I see a typo. We have to share the gospel in the way people can understand. So I'm going to give you three. Uh, this is probably the one that you think is most common, that you like the most. Uh, Kathy loves this, and that's why I put it first, but I'm going to criticize it. So you know, it's us on the first side, right? And then there's this chasm between us. What's the chasm? Sin. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's God on the other side. And then, helpfully so, Kathy has a version I couldn't find on the Internet that's all from Romans. Um, there are lots of nice Bible verses that will tell you why we have this cross on the chasm. And, of course, the idea is we're supposed to walk across the cross to get from our current condition to God. Now, does anybody here have some ideas as why that might not work very well with modern people? That's, so what's this chasm all about? I don't think there's a chasm there. I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. And then we have the, the, all these Bible verses, and the reaction of most of my non-Christian friends to that is, who cares? <laughs> who cares? You know, I don't... So... Some Roman guy 2,000 years ago said this. I could care less. So I warn you, this I think is helpful. I'm gonna, I'll tell you a story right now. I think it's in the book. I'll tell you. But our church, like many churches, we were open Monday through Thursday. Friday at noon, the church closed, uh, and most of the staff was off. Um, but we did have a reception at the front desk. Now, being a workaholic, that meant nothing to me because I was there all the time. But So one Friday afternoon, uh, I get a call from the front desk. And um, the lady's a little bit scared. Uh, and so she says, Chris, so I've got somebody out here in the lobby, and she's in terrible shape, and um, I need some help. So uh, I went out to the lobby, and there's this black lady who is beautiful, but she's like a foot and a half taller than I am. And uh, she's crying hysterically, hysterically. And I mean, to the point where it's very hard to deal with her. Well, I, I did take her back into my office and found out that she was on drugs. She was a prostitute. And the courts had taken her children away from her, and she couldn't get them back. And her boyfriend had just beaten her up, and so there we have the story of how she got to our office. Well, uh, I, I, normally I would find some woman in the church to minister to this person. I mean, I would find my way out of this, but it was impossible. I was the only guy in the church, so I, it was up to me. Uh, and so um, I basically took out a piece of paper and drew this exact diagram on the piece of paper. Now, why? Well, first of all, this woman was pretty aware she was a sinner. She didn't have any illusions about her situation in life. She's a drug addict, she's a prostitute, and she's easily manipulated by men. So she's, she's got it, okay? And uh, she did come to Christ. And when I tell the story, I like to say, this, so then I took her back out, and we used to keep food in the food pantry in little sacks and, um, so that we could give people meals basically more than one day of meals. And uh, so we gave her some food. We gave her a Bible uh, for her to take home. And we kind of shared the gospel. And then after that, in days passing, some of the ladies in our church did a little bit of work for this person. Um, now, there's a circumstance where I'm, this particular gospel presentation was completely appropriate. Okay? Right thing to do. Plus, it was the only thing I could think of to do. <laughs> so uh, it was the only thing I had to give this lady. Um, oops. Okay, next one. Um, this one, I think, is better for contemporary people. Uh, it, it appears in different ways, different structures. But basically, uh, the S is for self, and that little chair-looking thing is a throne. So without Christ, who's on the throne of my life? I am. Now, here's the good and bad news of that. This is really good for contemporary people. It fits what they think is. But all of us, don't we, at certain times think, I'm on the throne of my life and I'm a really bad king. <laughs> I, 
I'm on the throne. I admit that I'm on the throne, and I admit that I'm a bad king. Okay? And when people reach that stage of not being certain that they are uh, the right person to be managing all of their affairs, then you can suggest to them, well, maybe God should be on the throne of the life, and you should try not being on the throne for a while. Okay? Maybe that's the better way to run your life. Now, once again, I think for contemporary postmodern people, this is actually slightly better than the cross and the chasm. Because have I talked about sin? We've really just talked about failure. The human experience of failure. Uh, that this says you've failed. Maybe you've failed because the wrong person is running your life. Maybe if you let God run your life, you wouldn't be such a failure. Okay? And I think that one is uh, an appropriate, uh, I forget which one of the campus ministries uses this, actually, in their presentation. I can't remember which one. Uh, so this is one that I think does work for a lot of contemporary people. And I might add, the more successful that person is, the more likely this is to appeal to them. Because, let's face it, I'm used to being on the throne of my life. I, I'm used to being the king. I'm used to being the boss. I'm used to being in charge. Uh, and I know what it feels like to be in charge, and now I've come to a point where I'm not sure the right person's in charge. Um, you know, um, just another little gospel-sharing experience, but um, we all know this is true. Men in particular, but I think increasingly women fall into this category. We spend a good deal of our life trying to be successful. And the interesting thing about success is, in my experience, is that it doesn't really matter what your success is. It only lasts for about 24 hours. Uh, you know, you, you make progress toward that corner office. You finally get to the corner office, and you think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be on the top floor? Uh, uh, and so there's no end. The Bible tells us there's no end to human striving. There's no end to human desires. And even successful people, by the time they get to be in their mid-50s, are sort of wondering, what is this all about? I mean, have I really done the right thing? Um, I tell people, I, I, not a day goes by, no, no day goes by when I don't sit in my chair somewhere in the house and go, did I really waste my career as a pastor managing churches? Was that really a waste? So here, I, by, by all standards, I was pretty successful. But when I get to the end of the day, my security isn't that. Most of the people in all those churches could hardly remember my name. Uh, and so, you know, what was it for? Um, now, let's look at the one I like because I invented it. When Kathy and I wrote uh, our little book called Salt and Light, I was struggling. How do you express the Christian faith? to contemporary people in a way that they can understand and can accept. And I came up with this. So what is God? What does John tell us God is? God is love, right? So one of the things that happens to me, isn't it, when I separate myself from God is God is still there, God is still love, but can, do I really experience that love? No, I'm too busy loving myself. No, I'm love. I'm my own love. <laughs> Uh, so I'm off there. So I'm far from God's love. And interestingly enough, contemporary people, every, every book I read about young people today says they feel alienated and lonely. They feel alienated and lonely uh, because we have very weak families in America. America has about the weakest family structure in the world. Okay, so we have very weak family structures. And on top of that, the other things that used to bind people together, like sports and churches and things are also weak. So that you end up with this highly competitive environment. My community is my business. My community is my job. Well, those of us who have been in business know that whatever business is, it's not the end of the secret longings of your heart. Okay, <laughs> And your boss, who appreciates your work, doesn't really love you. Okay, uh, And if he does love you, maybe it's in the wrong way. So contemporary people, when they need something, we kind of come close to, we kind of touch God. We pray. We're on a battlefield of some kind. We've, we've, we've failed in some way. We feel weak in some way. We kind of touch the love of God, and it feels pretty good. But because I'm 
basically wanting to be in charge of my own life and be the center of my own universe, eventually I back away from that. So I, I just come to God sort of in a time when I need God's love. And then when I don't need God's love, I sort of back away. And that's the middle, middle statement. But at least I have a connection. That's the good news of this stage is there's a connection there with God that can be built upon. And then there is when I am surrounded by God's love, uh, and I have Bible verses for that one, uh, because Paul loves, I mean he loves this statement. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. He uses the phrase in Christ over and over and over again in his letters. And for those of you who would like to know a little Greek, I'm going to teach you some. Uh, in the Greek, it's what's called a spherical dative, okay? A spherical dative, which gives you why we have this little illustration here, uh, because it's as if Paul's saying when we're in Christ, Christ surrounds us and penetrates us so that we are in Christ fully. Uh, we are subsumed by the love of God. The love of God is all around us, okay? God is around and in us. And so that spherical dative gave me the idea for the illustration, frankly. Uh, but more importantly to me, isn't that what we all really would like to experience? Don't we really want to be surrounded by love? Penetrated by love? Healed by love? Uh, and so for contemporary people, especially young people, I think this illustration has its role to play as we help people find the love of God uh, through the gospel. Okay? Uh, so, um, any questions? I, someone told me I talked too much last week, so please stop me and ask questions. I love questions. Wait a minute. Who told you that you talked too much? I refuse to say. <laughs> <laughs> the Fifth Amendment does cover this situation. Okay. We're almost finished, and I thought this was going to be longer than it was today. One thing is sure. We should not allow ourselves to be unprepared for that moment during which we have an opportunity to share the gospel. Every Christian should think about what they will say when the opportunity comes, and it will come. It will come. Uh, so I thought I would sort of tell you a, a final story. We have time for it. Um, so I was a, a young lawyer at a big, big law firm, and basically, and this particular law firm uh, had several floors in the Pennswell building in Houston, and I was fortunate enough uh, that my office was in half of the litigation section and half the real estate section, okay? And um, when I joined, uh, I walked into the office and I was given number 44 and this guy behind me walked in and he was given number 45 so my seniority was one one more than ours. Uh, uh, which by the way he was 10 times the lawyer I was so that seniority meant nothing in the end uh, but basically Al was not a Christian in fact he was of another faith and we were really close we wrote a law review article together we you know we were close friends we ate lunch together we palled around we brought we had Talk to each other in the coffee break room, et cetera, et cetera. And one day, he just looked across his desk and said, do you believe I'm going to hell? And I want to tell you, I didn't know what to say. I was absolutely frozen in fear. Okay? Uh, and whatever it was, I, and I did say something, it was idiotic. Uh, and... <laughs> And um, I never felt good about my response. My friend obviously had a question on his heart, didn't he? He wouldn't have asked me that question unless he was willing to hear, yes, you're going to hell. But he wasn't, he wasn't, didn't ask the question. He kind of had an idea, because I was a conservative Christian, what the answer might be. So he, he wouldn't have asked the question unless he was willing to live with a hard answer. Uh, that never crossed my mind. All I was focused on was my own embarrassment, my own fear that I would ruin our friendship, my own concern about myself and how I would look, what if this got around the firm, blah, 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 blah. And I've never felt good about that. All these years, that was nearly 50 years ago, 
uh, I've never felt good about that day. I've, I've messed up. And I frankly messed up because I'd never given the slightest thought to that question <laughs> about him or anybody else. <laughs> so that I was so involved in my own life, I, well, I was going to hell. I didn't really think about anybody else's situation. Um, I think what you'll find is, is by thinking about the gospel, by thinking about what it is, uh, and by trying in your own heart to think about how you would explain it to someone, um, if you had to explain it to someone, uh, this will relieve you of the fear, and it will give you uh, an idea of what you might say. Okay? Um, so I like to say, here's what next week Ron's going to talk about your own personal testimony, which is just as important as the gospel. I put the gospel first on the theory that maybe God should come first. But normally when people come to Christ, there are two parts to it. There's the gospel that they must believe in, okay? And there's a person who they are looking at whose life story gives them a way to walk into that gospel. Does that make sense to you? So... There's the gospel we're presenting, and there's the uh, testimony of what it meant to me. And these are two different things, and both are important. Okay, what I like to say is, as to the as to both of these, um, basically, what you want to be think of yourself is I'm now at Starbucks with a friend. I have a pencil, and I have a napkin. I do not have my Bible. That's not always true today because we have them on our phones, but you don't. And I have to explain to the person the gospel without notes in one minute or less because this convers I've got to get back to work. This conversation can't go on forever. So put that around you. This is, this is what I have to say. And then think of it. What would you say? What would I say? Well, a good place to begin is... <laughs> She who must not be named would like to say something. <laughs> Kathy. Anyway, um, she came up to me afterwards and said, I want to change my life. I said, are you telling me that you want to become a Christian? She said, yes, and I don't know anything. So we opened up the Bible, and now I'm going to write it up here. Now she's going to write it up here. Because I, I, I actually sent it to Tom. And it's going to be Romans. Are you going to write for a while? So where was I before you interrupted? Does anybody remember? Um, so I'm going to keep talking. She's going to give it to you in just a minute. But base, what? One minute or less. You're at Starbucks. Uh, one minute. Say three. Uh, to let you know, for me, one typewritten page is about three minutes. Okay? So think of one typewritten page. You've got three minutes. You can write it out. And most of us, even at our advanced age, can remember one page, uh, double-spaced. So basically, who is God? Well, we want to encourage people to believe God is love, don't we? If they're confused, maybe we want to add that God is also all-knowing. God understands your situation, and even though you can't see the way out of it, God can. Okay, so we want to encourage them that God loves you, and understands you, got your situation in mind, and can help you find your way out, okay, of this situation. Step one. Step two is, now, you're going to have to have faith. The good, you have to have faith that God does love you and that God will help you in this situation. So you've got to give yourself to God in some way. I don't want to make it magical, but you've got to... Trust God enough to sort of obey whatever it is God says, right? That's the second part of it, is you have to accept by faith 
that you're going to do this. And then, of course, the third part is this afternoon when you leave Starbucks, you need to start living on the basis of a new set of principles. So you might want to read your Bible. You might want to read the Gospel of John, which is where I usually would put a person first. Um, you might you need to do something, get involved. Now, because this is communal, we're talking about this, one thing you can do is invite them to church, invite them to this Sunday school class. If you're in a small group, invite them to your small group, the best thing you could possibly do. Um, get them involved in a Christian community. How many of you know every answer to every question your friends will have about God? None of us do. So best get them into the Christian community where they'll have a lot of people to go to and a lot of different possibilities to find out the answers to the questions that they have, right? So bring them into the Christian community and then continue to love on them. Just continue to love on them. That's beyond the gospel message, but that's what we do is we get them into the Christian community and we stick with them. Uh, one problem with a lot of evangelism, including the one I gave a testimony about, is we don't bring people into the Christian community. We sort of leave them with a decision. This retreat, Kathy and I did maybe, well, over 20 years, maybe 40 of these. I don't know <laughs> how many of them we did. Um, and the fact is they have this experience in a retreat, but they don't belong to your church. They go back to another church, and you have no idea what happens to that person. Uh, and so you're not in a position. The people that joined a small group in our church, the people that came to our... Now, then we did have a shot at discipling them and helping them grow in Christ. Uh, but um, without, without that community, you're going to lose them pretty fast, I think, as we mentioned last week. demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Sorry. I'm just reading it. Yeah, I know. Okay. But God demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And then 10 Verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are justified in Christ and you shall be saved. So when Takia came to me and she already wanted, she wanted it. You know, she wanted more of God. So that doesn't always happen. But when that does happen, I thought, usually I wouldn't even know where to go, what to say. Well, okay, pray. You know, so anyway... Takia, at the end of this, said, I said, so I said, so, Takia, do you have any questions? Is there any reason or any reason why you don't want to just believe and accept Jesus into your heart now? What do you say? And she said, I, I don't. I just, that's what I want. I, that's what I want. I said, okay, do you think you're ready to pray? And she said, yes, yes. Will you help me? And I said, No. I said, all you have to do is talk to the Lord yourself. And so she says it. You know, she says it. Well, she was so excited. I said, have you ever been baptized? And she said, no. I said, then on Monday we need to go and see Pastor Chris and get you baptized. And what's amazing is because of Takia's adult baptism, our church had 12 adult baptisms. All of her family, her friends, her cousins, her brother's girlfriend, they all came. And um, then they kind of, after a few months, they started drifting away. And I couldn't find her. Her phone had changed. You know, these were all African Americans in Memphis. And her um, phone, you know, and they, a lot of people lose their phone or they get a new number or things like that. And um, so one, I had just, we were already starting to move to Texas, and I just was praying and praying, and out of the clear blue, she texted me. And I said, I've been praying about you. I've been wondering where you were. How are you? She said, everything's great. I'm just, thank you for teaching me about Jesus. Ever since I went on that retreat, you know, 
anyway, the Lord was faithful. So, but it's four verses, and it says it all. So that's all. So if you want to write that one down, you can write it down. Anybody have any other questions? Yes. Teresa, I would just share something that uh, I thought was really wonderful. Whoops. Um, young lives and young life that are both part of, of our ministries here, I got involved in young lives because I felt like if I didn't believe in the validity of in the in abortion, I needed to do something about it. And I knew young lives believed that, so I got involved with them. And the interesting thing that they teach everybody that's working with the young mothers and their children, and then they teach the same thing in young life working with kids, is that you have to be an adult who earns the right to tell them about Jesus. They're not going <laughs> to they're not going to accept the message from you the very first day. You need a relationship. And so the strength of the message um, is so powerful. But when they believe in you because you pick them up and take them to club or you um, bring the food for them or whatever it is th that you do in your volunteer capacity, you've earned the right with them. I mean, they are beaten up kids and um, they have lived tough lives. And, um, and, but it's amazing. Once they get to Jesus, they can turn around and give it to everybody else, which is great. Yeah. We've told you a lot of stories, and I, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. The big thing to take away is you probably won't have every experience Kathy and Barbara Ann and I tell you about. Well, if you do, you're Mother Teresa. But, um, but you might have one at the proper time, and that's all. That might be it, okay? But if every Christian just reaches out and saves one person, that's good. And there will be those who have ministries that allow them to do, do more. Uh, and it's just a matter of being available to people. Barbara Ann and Kathy both said being available to people loving people, being willing to spend some time with people to where you earn the right to be heard, uh, and um, then at the proper time being able to witness uh, to people. And I, I don't know if some of you may have children that have drifted away. We, we have children that have drifted away. Uh, I think the thing to know about that is the same principle really works inside your family as it works outside your family, is that um, you just sort of have to love that person and continue to be with that person and uh, pray for that person and wait for that day when that person of their own volition decides they're open. And then, then whatever it is you have to say, they'll listen to uh, at, on that day. Last week, did I tell you about my friend, the motorcycle gang leader? Did I, tell, I had to tell this story. So I want to tell you a story about my prayer partner. So... Um, there was a man in Memphis who was the leader of the main motorcycle gang that controlled the drug business inside of the city of San Antonio, and he, of Memphis. And he happened to live with a woman in our church for a period of time before I even got to the church. Um, he, he was a terrible person. And he would tell you, if, if he were here today, he would tell you, I was a terrible person. Uh, he, that gang got in a fight with uh, Hell's Angels, and his life was in some danger. And so he left, and what he became is he became the chief enforcer for the largest pornography dealer in the city of Memphis who lived in Arizona. Uh, eventually, he moved to Arizona to be his bodyguard, and then through a series of he was on a motorcycle trip to go meet with the head of angels. God told him, if you go to this meeting, you're going to be killed. He pulled off to a church. It was in the middle of a worship service. He accepted Christ and was saved. And he came back, and he started dating this woman that he had hurt 20 years earlier. Yeah, this guy, he'd been in the Navy. He was built like a plug. I mean, he was just all muscle, short, but all muscle. Um, well, uh, he went on the same retreat that Kathy's been telling you about, and... Um, he accepted Christ there. 
I had the privilege eventually of baptizing this guy uh, who was pretty rough, I think you would agree. Uh, and he joined my small group that met on Saturday mornings, and we were prayer partners. We were prayer partners for almost a decade, okay? Uh, and uh, the last thing I did before I left Memphis was go to that prayer meeting and have pray with Bob. Uh, and he, I watched this really tough, <laughs> I mean really tough person, become a teddy bear over a decade. So, okay, so he wasn't magically, all of his bad behaviors weren't cured of a moment. Okay, it, and there was suffering to go on, but he did. And uh, today he's elderly and he's in terrible health because basically if you take enough drugs, drink enough alcohol, and chase enough women, your 70s are not good years for you. Uh, and so he was, he's suffered all the consequences of his bad behavior in the last 10 years. But he's still a wonderful guy. And I will tell you, we still love him. He'd come, he was actually, a, he was my personal bodyguard for a while at the church. <laughs> and, and he would come in to the, he would come into the, my office and he would say, that guy that came to get money from you, he's a coke addict. Don't give him any money. He's con it. I mean, I, Bob was impossible to con. He'd con, he'd con enough people that he, he was impossible to con. Bob would, he would come into my office and say, you see that person over there in the parking lot? Don't get near that person. He's got a guy. Um, he would just, Bob just watched over us and took care of us and um, became a, 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 a really a new creation. A new creation. Now, I don't have many stories like that to tell. Believe me, you know, I was in full-time ministry for 30 or 40 years. But the fact is, if it's just Bob, that's enough. Right? But notice we didn't drop, we didn't say, okay, you're saved, Bob. Goodbye. We baptized you. We continued to have a relationship that was very close for the rest of my time in Memphis. It was only when we left Memphis that 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 discipling ministry of mine. And he, by the way, led the same weekend several times. I was on the leadership team over the years. So my word to you is it's a process. There are some fundamental things you need to say to people about who Jesus is and about what Jesus did and how important that is and how God's love can transform them. There is some content to the gospel that we can't just avoid. It's not all testimonies. Uh, uh, but it's not that complicated that you can't do it. And when the time comes, believe me, it won't be, it might be scary. I, I, I think it's always a little bit scary. Uh, but basically, it won't be impossible for you uh, or the people you're with because you'll be ready. And they'll be ready. Two sides ready. And with that, I think I'll pray because I believe it's telling me we're over. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this class. We pray that you would be with this class uh, during the course of the week. Help us all to prayfully, prayerfully uh, seek to do your will in our daily lives, wherever that takes us, in San Antonio or even beyond. Uh, please be with uh, Ron as he tries to prepare the lesson next week. At the same time, he's going to have a wife who's pretty immobile for a few weeks. Uh, and be with uh, Ron Skelton as he is struggling with this cancer and needs the mercy of your healing grace. Uh, be with our pastors as they preach in just a few moments and with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.